With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Hey, another week of football, another good week. How are you doing, John? Uh, doing all right. You know, we had a long trip home Friday night, though. I think it was a lot that, of fun. Yeah, for that, that was not so good. Hey, we made it, and that's all that matters. It was 6.30 in the morning, uh, but, got but a, we did make it. Got a full five and a half hour sleep before college football started again Saturday. Wasn't going to miss that. Had a nice ready alarm set for 11.59. was good to go. But, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about that Friday night game. Uh, which I think went differently than most people expected uh, heading into it. I, I mean, I, you know, expected a little bit closer. What What are your overall takeaways from Penn State's uh, fifty nine to nothing thrashing of Maryland Friday night? Uh, my overall thought is that this is a loss that's going to hunt Maryland for months, if not years. And I, I'm I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, listen, this was an entire campus, an entire fan base that was up for this game. You had afternoon classes that were canceled you had uh you know a blackout in the stadium and when you got there the blackout was was really a salt and pepper out and then by the middle of the second quarter the fan base just started to leave so by the middle of the third quarter there were more white shirts in the stadium than there were black shirts and by the end of the game uh you, you couldn't hear yourself over, over the we are penn state chance i thought i think fs1 called penn state the the home crowd of the week or something along those lines. But uh, to me, it was uh, an embarrassing effort by Maryland, a pathetic showing by the fan base. I mean, you know, that's one of those games that I feel like we're going to hear about next season, the season after. I mean, Penn State really put a pounding on Maryland. But you have to give all the credit to the Nittany Lions. Uh, you know, James Franklin said what we were all thinking afterward. Franklin said, you know, this – this might be the most complete game I've seen in my six years of coaching here. And, you know, I tend to agree with them. There, there was not a lot of – every week I do a good, bad, ugly column, John, and uh, there was not a lot of bad and, and not a lot of ugly outside of what Maryland did um, in that game. I mean, that was, that was almost the perfect game by Penn State. Yeah, and, you know, let's sort of kick all of this off with, you know, the, the guy we talk about almost every week because he's going to dictate how far this team goes, and that's Sean Clifford. And, I don't know about you, but man, he, he cured a lot of those things that I saw wrong with him in the first three games over the two weeks they had off. You know, he didn't look skittish in the pocket. He looked calm. He looked cool. He looked collected out there. He was moving through his progression instead of jumping on that first read. And, you know, they, he, he looked much better than he had. And I told you, you know, usually guys will flash before they show these sort of complete games. He sort of skipped that phase and went from flashing to what he can do to just doing it. And, and he did it for a full, you know, uh, the full time he was out there, which was not a full 60 minutes because they were up so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the uh, first half Penn State record with 287 passing yards. If he would have played all four quarters, he would have easily blown Hackenberg's. I think he had 453, 454, um, you know, back in 2014. Would have blown, or 2012, would have blown that out of the water. But, 
Yeah, I mean, with, with Sean Clifford, we knew that he was capable of a game like this. We both just kind of wondered when he would put it all together. And I think the thing that, that fans should be pleased about here is Sean Clifford's reputation, since he's gotten on campus, has been prepare, prepare, prepare. And now listen, I know you can say that for pretty much every college football quarterback, but but you know when a guy's a little bit special in a certain area. You know, when when it came to Hackenberg, you knew that, you know, his arm was special. Okay, everything else was okay, you know, kind of under construction and needed work, but his arm was special. With with Clifford, I, I really thought it was that preparation that helped differentiate him and, and that competitive spirit. I mean, you know, James Franklin would often tell the story about how Sean Clifford mi- missed a, a goal in the in the weight room, so he, you know, out of frustration, he punched the weight room bench and, and broke his hand. You know, that just kind of spoke to you know, the kind of competitor he was. So during the bye week, you know, all we hear is prepare, prepare, prepare from Sean Clifford. You know, he essentially just lived in the film room for a week and you know, plotted out each and every single pass, the ones that went left, the ones that went right. You know, was there any difference between them? The ones that were made on the run, the ones that were made in the pocket, uh, you know, all the incompletions. And, you know, he actually found uh, some, some recurring themes that he shared with the media. That was one, he needed to work on his footwork. You know, he, he wasn't getting settled. Sometimes he was going, you know, too tight, too wide, or excuse me, too narrow, too wide. And the other was just the long ball accuracy. And, and he really tried to fix those up during the bye week and, and uh, you know, the week thereafter. And, I mean, he did an amazing job. I mean, great quarterbacks can diagnose issues. Elite quarterbacks can fix those in a short period of time. And, you know, the fact that Sean can fix those issues, he diagnosed so quickly – um, you know, again, maybe that's just an anomaly, but if you're a Penn State fan, you should be feeling pretty damn confident right now. Yeah, and I mean, he really almost played a flawless game. There was one throw, the the interception, where, you know, uh, he got picked off on a deep pass attempt to Dan Chisena down the left sideline. Uh, and, you know, it, it was just an incredible play by Maryland safety Nick Cross. It's one of those things yeah. where, you know, maybe Clifford should have seen him. It was not a good him, pass, but, but yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, but it's also not a play that usually ends in a turnover. This Cross is also just, true. Cross just made an incredible play, and you, you sort of live with it. You know, if that's going to be your only mistake and you're going to win by, a, by as much as Penn State did, I don't think anyone's going to complain. Uh, and But a big part of that passing game this week was something that you and I harped on a lot last week. Everyone seemingly harped on, and Penn State said that they needed to keep doing over and over again. They finally did it, and that's get the ball to KJ Hamler. Oh, yeah. and, and they did it early, and they tried to do it often. You know, uh, Clifford didn't always find them just because, you know, Maryland seemed ready for it after the first four or five attempts of it. But they got him the ball near the line of scrimmage and let him play, make plays. And, I mean, that's got to help Clifford's confidence too because, you know, when, when uh, Hamler gets those catch and runs, that's boosting Clifford's yardage total too. You know, he's, he's going to feel better about how he performs uh, when, when Hamler's able to do that. And, you know, that, that can't be understated how massive of a role uh, Hamler played in that victory and ultimately securing the momentum in that game. Yeah, I mean, if you take Hamler away, um, you know, let's just plug in, you know, someone who's, who's kind of similar. I'm trying to think, you know, help me out here, John, who, who has kind of a similar body type as K.J. Hamler on Penn State? Um, I mean, you know, a, a, I guess you could say Jahan Dotson is, is sort of similar, but okay. doesn't play after the catch. All right, like let, he does. let's just pretend, you know, Daniel George is healthy. He's in there. You know, Jahan's in the slot. If you put Jahan, you know, who, again, is a fantastic player, especially as a true sophomore, when you have that crossing route, um, uh, that, 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 that slant that K.J. did early in the game that led to that touchdown, um, you really – 
sometimes it looks so easy you don't fully appreciate just how big that play was just how athletic it takes you to make that catch you know that pass came high you know maybe Jahan Dotson maybe he can make that catch too but I don't think there's many other players in the Big Ten if not college football that can make that catch and then do what KJ did after the catch and that's you know, he was able to evade a tackler. Um, he ping pong. He 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 pinballed off of off of one uh, would be tackler that that KJ said after the game that that kind of surprised even him. And he was able to turn it up for a 58 yard, you know, touchdown game. With most other receivers, that's an incomplete pass. With KJ Hamler, that's a touchdown. And that's why we harped every single week, and why I'm sure the coaching staff did that. You need to get the ball in this guy's hands, and why I still think weeks two and weeks three, it was unforgivable that K.J. Hamler only got three offensive touches in both of those games. But, I mean, we saw he had double that, um, you know, against Maryland in two and a half quarters because they pulled all the starters. You know, when you're up a gazillion touchdowns, roughly, you usually do that. So, so yeah, I mean, they finally got him involved. And I don't think it was a coincidence that you know, KJ Hamler is the most heavily involved he's been all season. And, oh, that is the most impressive performance Penn State has had offensively all season. Yeah, and I mean, that that 58-yard reception and the catch and run was just incredible. I mean, he, he catches a slant, then he has one defender close to him, then proceeds to embarrass that defender for 20 yards down the field. Uh, he, you know, he hit a, a high step, he hit a, a dead leg, and then cut up field on him, and the poor kid just never had a chance. And you know, that, that's the kind of stuff only Hamler's capable of uh, on this team consistently. You know, he does it pretty often. Like, in, and he had a 20-yard reception not long after that that was, you know, pretty impressive in itself. And, you know, they were trying to get him the ball on drags and slants. And they tried a couple tunnel screens, too, which is something you want to see because that's, that's the easiest way to get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage. And that's how Purdue would get Rondale Moore the ball. Uh, you know, they exactly. would always, you know, try to get him involved behind the line of scrimmage, even have him line up as a running back sometimes. And, and, yeah, I mean, I don't care how you're getting K.J. Hamler the ball. Just get him the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that, that they absolutely needed to do, and they finally did it this week. And for once, you know, on this podcast, we're going to give credit to Ricky Ronnie for that because they, they needed to make a lot of changes. And it seemed like he pushed all of the right buttons on Friday night. Now, he was helped by the Penn State defense getting those two turnovers. But still, they have to execute when they have the ball. And, you know, it – the, the offense was humming Friday night. They looked good. They looked consistent. They were getting their playmakers uh, the ball. They were taking deep shots at the right times, even if they weren't hitting them. Uh, it felt like a really complete game. Like James Franklin said, he, you know, called it his best game since he's been here. And, you know, that that goes for Ronnie as well. I think that was his best called game in, you know, his his year and what, uh, year and a quarter, or year and a third, excuse me, of, of calling plays. Yeah, and you had the, the Fiesta Bowl, too. Fiesta Bowl too, but right. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, certainly I'm not the biggest, you know, Ricky Ronnie supporter, but, you know, and, and I've certainly given hell on, on, on this podcast, but I mean, you've got to give credit when it's due and, and absolutely. I mean, I would say this was Ricky Ronnie's strongest called game. I think it was a great game by, by Ricky Ronnie and, and, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for that. Uh, uh, I mean, the execution was on the, the running game was on the pass blocking was on the passing game, you know, getting Hamler involved. I mean, you go down the list, I mean, I don't know what box is unchecked there. Yeah, and, and I think this is really important going forward for them because it, it, both are concerned that, you know, 
Ronnie's not going to be a good enough play caller to get this team where it's capable of going. Looking forward now, maybe that's not the case. Maybe, you know, they can they can play at this level consistently. And if this offense is going to be well, that's this a, good. That's a big maybe, too. I mean, well, right. let, let me ask it this way, John. Do you think – I don't want to say that do you think this was a flash in the pan, but do you think this is a turning point for Ricky Ronnie? Do you think this was just one – it called game. Do you think we've underestimated Ricky Ronnie? I mean, how does this game kind of change your outlook on Penn State's offense, if at all? Yeah, I, I think it changes it quite a bit. And I don't know that it's, you know, I don't think we were wrong in what we were saying early about him either. You know, the, the inconsistency in the play calling, the poor play calling, call it for what it is. Uh, I think we may have underestimated his ability to adjust week to week. He's not as good in game at doing it. But, you know, with the two weeks off, it seems like he must have been introspective because they changed a lot with this offense and trying to get Hamler the ball the ways they did. Um, and it was just not something that they tried to do early on. Uh, you know, and they've, they've drastically changed that. And it was something they also didn't do last year. It's not like this was just a problem this year. They weren't getting Hamler the ball in the right spots last year either. They were still trying to hit him deep too often. Uh, and, you know, like you said, they sort of took a page out of Purdue's playbook. And Looking ahead, I think this could be the moment, you know, we look back at and say, okay, this is when the offense turned. This is when things started to go well for Penn State. Now, they've got to do it against much better opponents, but it's still really impressive. This is a Power 5 uh, opponent. You know, it's the first conference game of the year. Uh, they're, like we said before, this is their Super Bowl. You know, Maryland was supposed to be up for this game uh, more than any other game, and Penn State went down there and, and showed them who was boss. And, and Ricky Ronnie was a huge part of that. If he keeps – you know, calling plays with confidence, which I think is important too, because he's got to have faith in his players that they're going to make the plays, uh, you know, with the ball in their hands. They don't have to design everything to be a shot play uh, when they need to make a big play. Then I think, you know, this this really could be that moment for this team. Now, they're going to have it easy again this coming week with Purdue, a, a bad Purdue defense that has just been, you know, the offense has been destroyed by injuries too. But then we're getting in a three-game stretch that we talk about, you know, the the Iowa, then Michigan, and Michigan State stretch. And, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they can put up points on those teams as well. And if they do it then, then that sort of proves, you know what I mean, that this was the moment that everything turned for the yeah. Penn State offense. Yeah, it's still, still a little bit of too many what-ifs to, to make me comfortable. But, I mean, I, listen, if you're a Penn State fan, you saw the 59 nothing win over Maryland. I mean, you've got to be optimistic. You've got to be feeling positive. You've got to be feeling good. There's no way around that. You can't put it together a game like that, which, again, Franklin says maybe the most complete game, you know, of his Penn State career. You can't put together a game like that and not feel good. But I need to see more before we start, you know, calling this, you know, a turning point. And I know essentially you said it could be the potential for a turning point, but – you know, we, we've seen a lot of good Penn State games and then, you know, to see them come out flat the next game. And the shame of it is here that, honestly, I don't think I would still be 100% sold even if Penn State came out and slaughtered Purdue because, I mean, Purdue is miserable this week. I mean, Penn State opened up as a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. Purdue loses, I feel, it feels like half their starting offense, and now Penn State's the four-touchdown favorite. I mean, that line moved really quickly. Uh, you know, by quite a bit. So, you know, in, in case you've been living under a rock, you have the most electrifying Big Ten playmaker in, in Rondale Moore. Um, he's out for the game. Uh, Purdue's other uh, starting receivers out for the game. Their starting quarterback, Elijah Sindelar, is out for the game. Two of their backup running backs are out for the game. Uh, their backup guard uh, suffered a broken ankle in the last game. He is out for the game. And 
I think that might be everyone on offense. It's not, it's not everyone, <laughs> but everyone, you know, on offense. So, I mean, right now, I mean, Penn State's defense, I mean, if Penn State's defense allows double digits in this game, I, I, I would be surprised to be all on, you know, to be honest with you. So I just, for, for, for us to, to see this as a turning point, to maybe be that 2016 Minnesota game, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, keep that intensity up. You know, let's see KJ Hamler with another 100-yard game. You know, let's see all that because, I mean, essentially right now, Penn State's biggest opponent this week, yeah, not Purdue, it's Penn State. I mean, the only way Penn State loses this game is if Penn State beats Penn State. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. This Purdue team is in, in rough shape, not to mention they're also one and three coming into this game. They haven't played well this year, even when healthy. Uh, you know, of course, they can catch any team at any time like they did last year when they went into, you know, Columbus and won that game. Uh, I believe that was in Columbus. And, and you know, uh, sort of shocked the nation in that game. Uh, but, you know, my the biggest thing here for me is this is the most complete performance that they've put in under Ronnie. You know, I uh, was just looking at the, the Illinois box last year when they put up 63 points. And even then it was, you know, a pretty heavy run game for the team. They weren't, you know, if you it's Illinois. Correctly. I mean, if you're going to put yeah. 63 points up and you're playing Illinois and Rutgers, ah, it doesn't count. Maryland, yeah. I mean, that is legit. Yeah. I mean, Maryland's not the greatest team, but they are a slice above Rutgers and Illinois who, you know, probably would be struggling in the MAC. Yeah, and I think, like you said, the biggest thing is that they've got to come out and do it a second week in a row. You know, uh, just one week of this type of performance isn't going to be good enough. If they come out and do it against Purdue, get your rolling into that three-game stretch, and then, you know, maybe 3-0 and o becomes realistic in that stretch. I still, you know, tend to think 2-1 and one is probably the most likely outcome. But, you know, if you get an offense going, you know, that that uh, Iowa game has now been announced as 7.30 uh, kick at Kinnick, which is not fun for any away team. Uh, or reporters. Not yeah. fun for reporters, yeah. John. Not fun for anyone. Or coaches. I'm, Franklin said today he would prefer a noon whiteout game, and I, I am totally with him. Yeah, and, and but, I mean, that, that game is now going to be a really, really difficult yeah. one. And, you know, that's sort of the one that I'm pointing to as, as it could be a loss. And if they go in and they, they start that three-game stretch with a win, you know, in that environment, you know, is there a chance they're undefeated going into Ohio State then? I think if they win that game, probably, and that, you know, we're, we're not too far off from that game and, and what could be their biggest non-Ohio State game of the year. And, and now they've got the offense rolling going into it, and that's the right time for it. You know, they're, they're, they're going to need to be that good on offense to beat that Iowa team. And, and I think right now the signs are pointing toward that. I mean, if it, right now if you're trying to, to power rank the Big Ten – um, I think Penn cool State boy. has absolutely shown that they're better than Iowa right now. I mean, obviously, you know, playing at Kinnick can, can do a lot of crazy things, but uh, I think we both agree number one is Ohio State. For me, the, the next question is, is number two Wisconsin or, or, or is it Penn State? Oh, uh, man. I, I think I – Because I think, I think after those three teams, I, I, think there's, I think there's a big jump off between the top three and, and everybody else. Yeah, and, and after Wisconsin struggled with Northwestern this weekend, you know, uh, a 24-15 to 15 win isn't exactly inspiring com confidence against what might be the worst offense in the conference, which is saying something when Rutgers is in the conference. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that I have faith that, you know, Wisconsin is as good as they're being projected as right now just because I also don't think Michigan is that good. So if their biggest win is against a Michigan team that I don't think highly of, then maybe, you know, Wisconsin's more in line with that tier teams. And we might just be looking at a two-team, you know, a two-team top of the conference in Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, 
you know, and, and we'll find out a little bit more about Iowa this weekend when they take on Michigan as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a chance they come in a little banged up because that should be a, a big time physical game, knowing the history of those two schools. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe this is the prime time for, for Penn State to strike against that Iowa team too. Maybe it's setting up nicely for them after what should be an easy week. And of course, with these Purdue teams, maybe even without more and Sindelar, they come out and, you know, put on a show. But but I doubt it. And, you know, Penn State should be looking at a pretty big uh, win this weekend and a chance to create some momentum that they – it doesn't seem like they've had in quite some time. Yeah, I, I will say um, when you look at the games too, you know, just going back for a moment, um, you know, you talked about how it's important, obviously. I mean, if you can go 3-0 and with Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, what that means. I mean, honestly, if you look at it though – it's more important for Penn State, lose against Iowa, beat Ohio State. I mean, that that's really what it's all going to come down to is if Penn State is within one game of, of the standings, it's the Ohio State game that's really going to determine everything. Because let's say, you know, again, you know, we're, we're looking ahead. We're, you know, looking at the what ifs. But, I mean, this it actually has the potential to be one of those what ifs. Penn State loses to Iowa. But, you know, if they're going in, Ohio State's undefeated, Penn State has one loss, all Penn State has to do is beat Ohio State, and bam, it's got the tiebreaker. You know, if, if they both go on to, to, to only lose one game, you know, Penn State's moving on to the Big Ten Championship now. You know, maybe that uh, you know, is repeating some history that Penn State fans wouldn't like to see. But, you know, I, I've got to think that, you know, it would be a little bit different if Penn State's, you know, one loss this year. But, you know, I think, you know, one loss in the conference championship should always you know, get you into the next level. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're projecting a little bit here, but, you know, and I'm not saying the Iowa game isn't important, but I, I don't think it might be as important as, as maybe we're, we're, we're making it out to be, at least, uh, you know, where the hype is right now. But certainly there's no hype for the Purdue game anymore. I, I thought this might be a trap <laughs> game. I was looking forward to this game in the preseason. You know, you have Rondell Moore, who's fun to watch a Purdue offense that can put up points and a Jeff Brom team that is a total wild card. And now it's just kind of like, all right, is, is next week here yet? Because yeah, th th this should not be a, a fun game to, to, to watch. Yeah. And, and just to touch on real quick, you mentioned the, you know, the 11 one and getting in with a win over higher state. And I a hundred percent believe you, but we've seen this committee, make different decisions before the college football playoffs. We have, but come the, on. I the mean, one like, way to let's get, not get, like, too – you know, let, let's not make this harder than it's got to be. Penn right. State beats Ohio State and loses to Iowa, who's a top 25 team. Like, come on, man. Oh, I'm with you. But the the only 100% way to guarantee ah. it is to go into that Ohio State game undefeated and then also beat them, you know, and then walk through Rutgers. So, the yeah, week. then that way Penn State would have a 100% shot as opposed to a 99.8% shot. Agreed. I, I, well, again, I won't rule anything out with this committee. I will. It's not going to happen. That's just, it's not, that's, no, there's <laughs> 0% chance. We won't get too deep into the specific uh, college football playoffs. Specifically, that's year. not going to happen. <laughs> this, we are, we're only four weeks in. We've got another four weeks since we even get our first rankings to look at. Having a uh, one loss Ohio State <laughs> team over a one loss. Get out of here, Johnson. I'm not saying they'll pick Ohio State. <laughs> I'm saying they'll pick a, you know, a second SEC team. But again, different conversation yeah. for a different day. Uh, you know, the, looking ahead this week, it, it's, you know, it, like you said, it's a cake, uh, cakewalk for, for this Penn State team, or at least it should be. But there are some concerns coming out of that Maryland game. Uh, for me, anyways, well, a concern, I guess I should say. I was going to say, yeah, uh, concerns, plural. Like. Yeah, 
No, there's just one, and it's it's the concern that I've had, and I you know I touched on this, and uh, you know my my takeaway story from from the game, and that's this Penn State defensive line still isn't you know finishing the mm. pressures. They're getting they're getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're just not getting there, and I think you know that's that's a pretty big issue for this team. I, now that it seems like, you know, they, they went up against an offensive line that was missing one of its best uh, interior linemen. They still couldn't get to the quarterback. Uh, yeah, and, and Adisa Isaac got one and a half sacks, but he's not going to be a regular part of the rotation. I don't think either of us expects that the rest of the year. Uh, and, and right now, you know, Yitor Gross Matos was fantastic in the game. I don't think there's any denying that. But even he wasn't getting, you know, finishing the pressures. Uh, and you'd like to see that, especially in a game you win 59 nothing to only to not have, you know, any sacks out of those guys has got to be concerning. And you, you, you know, know we're, we're nitpicking here when it's oh, 59 to zero. They, they allow like, you know, less than 150 total offensive yards. And there's still something to point to that, you know, you kind of feel is concerning for the defensive line. I mean, I'll say this, John, I, I get what you're saying, but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to disagree here just because, I mean, listen, what you're saying is true. They're, they're, they're not putting up the stats, but, you know, I think there are a few differences this year. And, you know, one of them is, you know, everyone is well aware of the Penn State defensive line. You know, other teams are strategizing around that, you know, going into max protect, you know, maybe leaving a running back, you know, back to block and chip. Um, you know, you've got more attention being put on Gross Matos this year, whereas last year, obviously, you know, was kind of his breakout year. He was able to fly under the radar a little bit. So, you know, that and, you know, again, when I say, te say teams are game planning, you know, uh, some of the QBs, it's, you know, three-step drop and throw. You know, they're not giving Penn State's defense or defensive line really an opportunity, you know, to, to, to get there. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I don't think you're wrong, but I also don't think it's a huge issue at this point. I, I, I mean, we, we all agree that this defensive line is talented. Um, we've seen their production in the past. Um, you know, Sean Spencer is a great coach. Brent Fry is a good coordinator. You know, to me, there's, you know, almost zero concern here. Yeah, I, I would say it's something to watch going forward. Uh, if this becomes an issue against Purdue, if they're still not getting, you know, if they're still not finishing off those pressures. But, I mean, if, if they beat Purdue by nine touchdowns and don't allow any points and don't get any sacks, I still wouldn't be very worried. Well, and then you, <laughs> then you start looking at Iowa with a dominant defense or dominant offensive line. Excuse that me, should and, tell and, quite And someone bad. like Tristan Wirfs, who will likely see a lot of Etor Grismatos, yeah then, you know, if they're still not getting to the quarterback there, then, you know, what – I mean, then you start to getting – starting to get nervous. Is Justin Fields going to have all day to throw when they play Ohio State? Is Brian Lewerke going to have all day to throw, you know, when they play Michigan State? Uh, you know, obviously those are two very different players. I don't know why I chose those two in particular. <laughs> they're very – they're both very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, – but, yeah, I, I think it's something to watch going forward. And the one play that sort of sticks out is, is that pick by Jane Johnson early in the game. If you remember, Josh Jackson had about – what felt like an hour and a half to make a throw and still managed to throw it directly to Chan yeah, Johnson. Yeah, that was a very curious pass. But but it was it's sort of indicative of what we've seen a lot this year, and that's quarterbacks having a lot of time to make decisions. And, you know, he had a lot of time to make the ultimately the wrong decision there. But, you know, Penn State still gave him too much time. And, you know, you worry that it's putting a lot of uh, stress on your back four when your your front four is not getting into the uh, into the backfield enough. And, you know, when you're forced to blitz on in those types of situations to get pressure, then, you know, the, the like I said, the back four is going to have more issues. It's tougher to, to, to play man-to-man -man as you get deeper into conference play, as you play better teams, you know, with more talented wideouts. So I just think it's something to monitor. You know, I don't think it's overly concerning right now, but you, you just would have liked to see, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, this team get some sacks this week, you know, finish some plays uh, and, and wreak havoc back there. 
of course, you know, like I said, they're still getting pressure on the quarterback. They're still making them hurry their throws. You just want to see some of those sort of chunk plays in the opposite direction to make something happen and to, you know, give your team a little bit of momentum and, and put teams behind the sticks and, you know, make them uh, try and convert on third and 16 instead of third and seven. And certainly it's been an issue. I mean, James Franklin has, you know, even outlined in the, the first half against Pitt, you know, there was next to no pass pressure, but then in the second half, they were able to bring it and get three sacks. So, you know, I think, you know, at worst that, that yeah, I mean, it's absolutely been inconsistent. It's something that, you know, Penn State could certainly find more consistency moving forward there. But, but yeah, you know, again, I think it's kind of a shame that we really won't see that tested too much uh, really until Iowa. I mean, it's, it just, it's amazing, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, we, we looked at the, this two game stretch, you know, Maryland and Purdue, and we saw a, a team that might be able to hang up with Penn State and Maryland, you know, a team that had just, you know, beat the crud out of Syracuse and, and you know, was ranked number 21 in the nation and was on the up and up and, and Purdue, you know, you, you'd look back to that Ohio State game last year, you know, just how, you know, they're this wild card team and you thought, you know, wow, we should learn a lot from Penn State during that two game stretch and you know Maryland ends up having the, the <laughs> I mean just a, a, a tragic tragic performance and uh, you know again you know Purdue seems to be missing like every conceivable impact player they have so you know I I don't know how much you know again we're, we're going to learn this week I think a lot of it you know we're going to see with Iowa but but there's definitely a lot if you're a Penn State fan to to hang your hat on at this point and and I think, you know, one of the things, too, is, is uh, you know, the running game. You know, that's kind of been hit or miss a, li or a little bit. You know, we've seen some, you know, explosive long runs from, from every running back, really, outside of Ricky Slade. And, you know, but we haven't consistently seen, you know, four-yard, five-yard gains. It's been, you know, like minus one yard, two yards, minus one yards, 80 yards, you know, and then back to the, you know, two, three, one, you know, so, so – if there's one part of the offense where, you know, I'd like to see them kind of grow from one week to another, it would be the consistency in the running game. And, and certainly they should have the opportunity to run quite a bit uh, against Purdue. Yeah. And I think the best way to do that is to get Devin Ford more touches. You know, I think he continues to prove that he's, you know, the most talented back on this team. You sort of, eh, you know, you see I, him. I, I, he is very talented. I just don't know if there's a big gap between him and, you know, number two, I wouldn't even necessarily disagree with you that he's the best back right now, but yeah, I just think he's, you know, he provides the best combination of, you know, those four or five yard carries and also the ability to hit those home run carries, because I think that's something that Jeremy Brown struggles with a bit. It seems like if he's not, you know, busting it for at least, you know, 10 plus yards, it's going to be a one or two yard gain. You know, there's not a lot of the, the in between there, not a lot of the three, four, five yard runs. Uh, with Ford, it seems like he's able to get those runs as well as having the home run ability, you know, like I said, sort of being that all-around back. We've seen he can catch out of the backfield too, which is obviously big. Uh, like I said, they need to get their playmakers the ball in space more, and a, a way to do that is on those screen plays uh, and giving guys like that a chance to create in the open field. Uh, but but I'm with you. The the running game is, you know, still inconsistent. I think part of that comes with running four running backs out there uh, and you know, splitting carries like that. But I also think, you know, they just need to be a little bit better on those runs. You know, they, they sort of take uh, need to take the uh, Noah Kane approach and sort of always fall forward instead of getting jammed up in the line of scrimmage. You know, uh, sometimes Journey Brown is, is guilty of, you know, stretching a run too far outside instead of cutting up the field a little sooner. You know, we're, maybe he doesn't get the big run that he's trying to get, but he gets five, six yards instead of, you know, two, three yards. 
and those runs can make a big difference at the end of the day because you always want to stay ahead of the change. You know, you, you want second and six, you don't want second and eight, you want third and three, you don't want third and seven. Uh, and, and getting those runs is sort of the best way to do that. Uh, and, and we'll see, like you said, they should have a chance to sort of explode against Purdue this week. Uh, and, and, you know, let's talk about Purdue a little bit. I know there's not a lot there. Uh, yeah, it's going ranked to be just outside the top 100 in both uh, total defense and scoring defense. They're allowing over 450 yards and over 32 points a game. So, yeah. And their, their lone win this year against a bad Vanderbilt team. Uh, they didn't even beat Nevada. Yeah. And, but the thing about this Purdue team, you know, they, they're still decent at putting up points, even without Cinderella last week, they put up 31 uh, on Minnesota. You know, I, I believe Moore missed a good portion of that game as well. So, you know, Jeff Brom's going to have that team ready. And, you know, if David Bell is good to go uh, as the second wide receiver, you know, he was a guy that Penn state was after pretty heavily from, from Indianapolis and out in Indiana. And, you know, Bell is a really talented kid. And the fact that he's playing as a true freshman says a lot because this is a, a high-powered offense. Uh, you know, he's sort of the guy that I'm watching this week. Uh, he, he's, like I said, he's very talented. He might have sort of a chip there because, you know, he, he chose Purdue over Penn State and people were critical of him for, you know, going to Purdue and staying in his home state instead of going to Penn State. Uh, you know, a, a lot of social media reactions you always get with recruits like that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, is he is he out coming out with a vengeance? Does he blow up against Penn State? And maybe, you know. Yeah, if, he could blow up and maybe Penn State will only win like 42 to 14. Yeah, that's I mean. what I was, I was going to say. <laughs> Does he give them a scare for seven and a half minutes and score the first touchdown of the game before Penn State finishes the blowout? Uh, but, you know, just, just someone to watch, you know, a, a connection to Penn State there and a guy that is really – I cannot stress this enough – is very, very good uh, – as you know, I, I used to work out in Indianapolis, and I saw him him play uh, when he was in high school. And I mean, the talent is is very obvious with this kid. Uh, you know, he's going to do a lot of big things at Purdue, and sort of the perfect complement to Rondell Moore. And goes back to what you said; it's it's sort of a shame we don't get to see it. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, I, I believe you, but I mean, hell, you could put you know Saquon Barkley, you know, on Purdue, you know, this this coming Saturday, and. Uh, I still don't think Purdue's got a shot to make this, you know, closer than a 20-point game. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, watch David Bell. He's a he's a great player, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the, the thing about this game. This is one of those games where Penn State really has nothing to gain, I feel like, when it comes to the opinion of poll voters and, you know, to the media and, and uh, you know, even the college football playoff committee who – who won't vote uh, for another four or five weeks yet. I think their first rankings come out November 5th, but you know, they'll, they'll still be watching, but yeah, if I think any goodwill Penn state has earned from Maryland, if uh, from, from just pummeling Maryland, if, if Penn state does not beat Purdue by, by more than three touchdowns and a comfortable three touchdowns, none of this, you know, tied at halftime stuff. Uh, if Penn state doesn't beat the crud out of them, it, it almost takes away everything they did against Maryland because then people are just back to, oh, this team's inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get from one week to another. So I mean, that's why I feel like it's important for Penn State to score early, score often, you know, show people that 59 to nothing against Maryland wasn't the one-time exception. That's the new norm. And if they do that, you know, they, they, they stayed at number 12 in the AP poll this past week, not because they, they weren't impressive against Maryland, but because everyone else won, you know, and, and I feel like it doesn't matter if everyone else wins again. If Penn State wins convincingly again, they're going up because no matter what way you look at it, they had more voting points this week than the week before. People think more highly of Penn State now than they did a week, two, three weeks ago. 
you know, Penn State are, are people are starting to jump on the Penn State bandwagon. And if Penn State wants to keep that alive, they need to keep what they did on Friday alive too. Yeah, I think the only concern is that this could possibly be a trap game. You know, you get caught Still? looking. You, well, you get caught looking ahead to Iowa, especially with the kick time announced. You've got HBO there this week. You know, things can get a little hectic. And, you know, you just you have to maintain that focus. And like you said, you need to carry over that performance. And, I, you know, I, I think the only trap is looking ahead. And I, I you know. Yeah, I mean, say, and Franklin, yeah, Franklin's, you know, like entire yep. mentality is built around, <coughs> excuse me, it's built around, you know, not looking ahead and, you know, every game is their Super Bowl and blah, 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 cliche, cliche. But, you know, it works for them, you know. So, you know, it, certainly this has been an issue before. Um, and, and listen, I mean, you know, the crystal balls in the shop, you know, we don't have one to look into. You never know how, how Saturday can go. I mean, you know, upsets happen all the time, even if it seems unlikely, you know, like Purdue, Ohio State last year. But, I mean, again, yeah, something is going to have to go, you know, incredibly wrong. Um, you know, like Will Levis and Sean Clifford coming down with the flu, like Saturday morning. Well, even then, I think Dequan Roberson might be able to lead them to a victory. <laughs> yeah, line. I mean, I would still pick Penn State to win. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it, Penn State has has more talent. They're 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 better coached. They're deeper. I mean, like literally, I don't know where, if anywhere, I would give Purdue the advantage in this game. Yeah, I think the one the one other matchup that I'm that I'm looking at. Uh, is another you know guy that I saw in my my time out in Indiana, and that's five star defensive end coming into college, uh, George Karloftis. Uh, he is phenomenal. Uh, you know, just a little little story. I was watching a high school game, and you could hear the high school coach. Every play call was the play call, and then the last two words were or last three words, excuse me, were away from eighty eight, uh, and that was his number in high school. They were doing whatever they could to not have to go at this kid, uh, and he's you know he's done well so far at Purdue, and it'll be a good test for the Penn State uh, you know offensive tackle. See what Rashid Walker, who has been fantastic this year, uh, see what he's made of. See if Will Fries can keep up the consistency because he also looked good against Maryland, and that's something we didn't touch on. But the offensive line looked really good. Uh, you know, can they keep that up against a guy that is a really just a grown man out there? I mean, this is a big, strong, physical kid. A lot of speed off the edge can power through you. Uh, is going to be a tear in the Big Ten for probably three years and then leave. Uh, just another guy to watch, you know, on the other side of the ball that that could cause issues for for Penn State. And we'll see, you know, again, how that offensive line holds up. And if they do hold up, then, you know, uh, I mean, it's a great sign for Penn State going forward because he's going to be one of the most talented ends they face all year until they, you know, get to Ohio State. And, of course, with the exception of A.J. Epineza for, say, you for know, Iowa. There, there is the Iowa defensive yeah. end too here, John. But, but, yeah, no, no, point taken. I mean, he's – you know, very talented. And, you know, maybe if Purdue had 10 more of him, uh, you know, it would be uh, a better test. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the time being, that, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, we've, we've got to give you someone to look for. You've got someone on the offensive side of the ball to look at and David Bell for Purdue. Again, someone that's just interesting down the road, especially because he's a true freshman. Same with Karloftis defensively. Uh, I think it's more interesting. So, you know, let's get to it. What do you think the, the final is going to be of this one? I know it's it's early. We haven't made our official predictions yet. These are subject to change when we make our picks for the for the paper. Uh, but but what are you thinking this week, and and how much does Penn State win by? Because I know you're picking them to win. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go Penn State forty five to six. Uh, you know, I I just feel like you know Jeff Brown's Jeff Brom's offense. You know, maybe they even score a touchdown. You know, maybe it's more. You know, Purdue scores thirteen points. I I can't see Purdue scoring over twenty. I mean, even against the third string defense. Um, I'm fully expecting James Franklin to be able to pull his starters by, you know, no later than, you know, the end of the third quarter. And 
yeah, you know, I, I think Penn State rolls. Uh, I think we, we see a continuation of what we saw against Maryland. Maybe it's not quite as fast. You know, you have to remember that Penn State did have two key turnovers early in the game that helped spark that offensive momentum. But, you know, certainly I think Penn State's up three touchdowns by halftime and they cruise. Yeah, I think I think Purdue comes into this one, you know, maybe, you know, uh, a little a little early and, and gets a score up on the board. I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, to see them score first. But I think ultimately Penn State rules on this one. Uh, I'll go 52 to 7. You know, I, I don't think, you know, it's out of the realm of possibility for Penn State to shut out Purdue either. I also don't think it's out of their own possibility for them to, <laughs> to, score, to score 60 in this one, you know, and outscore what they did against Maryland. Purdue's just in, in dire straits right now. There's, you know, there's not a lot of places for them to turn for, for This would have been a output. great week one game. Oh, yeah, it would have been phenomenal. Or, you know, like you said, it's just such a shame that we don't get to see Rondell Moore, you know, in Happy Valley. I think Penn State fans would have enjoyed the talent, not as much enjoying what he was doing to their team. Yeah, I mean, but, he's, he's like uh, – it's like seeing another K.J. Hamler out on the field. But a lot stronger because Rondell Moore is a – Oh, I, I mean, a, I, I do actually – yeah, I would I would absolutely say Rondell Moore is the better football player than K.J. Hamler, you know, but it's close. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I, I remember talking to uh, Nate Hobbs, Illinois defensive back, who – you know, said this offseason, told me that, yeah, you know, if he was ranking wide receivers, one would be Rondell Moore in the Big Ten, two would be K.J. Hamler. Yeah, and, you know, Rondell Moore listed at 180, but I know he's made uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list multiple times because he's so ridiculously strong, too, uh, and that's part of his game, you know. Uh, but like you said, just he's probably as talented a wide receiver as there is in the Big Ten, as talented a playmaker there is in, in the country. Uh, so it's a shame we won't get to see him play, but, you know, we – Still touched on what we need to with this team. You've got a couple of things to look for this Saturday. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center, C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, of course, at, uh, at by Josh Moyer for Josh and at John Sauber for me. Uh, thank you for tuning in and have a great day.